Over the last two weeks, we've had the great privilege to study the doctrine of adoption. And over the last two weeks, we looked at seven facets of adoption out of Ephesians 1. And by way of review, if you were not with us or if you missed some, I'm going to run through them before I jump into our next point. First, we saw the prominence of adoption, that we have God as our Father, and we recognize that justification is a beautiful doctrine, and oftentimes that is the thing that we hold to and we cling to and we cry out, justification by faith alone, and so we should. And also, regeneration, that the Spirit of God would regenerate our hearts, that we would have these hearts of stone that were dead, as it were, given new life, that we would love God, that we would love His Word, that we would love His law, that it would be our delight, and that we would, through His Word and by the power of His Spirit dwelling within us, pursue Him in love. That we would look like Christ. That we would have the ability now to do that. But adoption, adoption is the crowning jewel of the application of redemption. It is one thing To be pardoned. And that is a glorious thing that we do not deserve. But again, it is an altogether different thing to have that judge bring you into his family. Make you an heir of his inheritance. To have God as our father. To have Christ as our brother. To have access to all the rights and privileges that belong to Christ. Freely given to us so that we would have the right to be called children of God. A right that we do not deserve, but nevertheless, a right that we have, says John. We also looked at, number two, the participants of adoption. And we saw that there's that fourfold fatherhood of God. He is the father of the son in a unique way by means of eternal generation, eternally begotten. He is a father of everyone in the sense of he created everything. Paul tells us in Acts 17. And he is the father of Israel, his firstborn. But that's not what's in view here in Ephesians. What we have in view here is he is father by means of adoption. The same way when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount some months ago, and we came to that beautiful portion of the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6, where he says, when you pray, you pray like this, our father. And we recognize at that point that only those who have been adopted into the family of God have that right to call God Father. Because by nature, everyone, even some now in this room, have Satan as their father. The participants of adoption are those who are the children of God by means of adoption. And it says that he predestined us, having predestined us to adoption through his son. He worked out every detail, of not only our lives, but the lives of everyone around us. So that we would know that we are adopted. That we would know that we have an inheritance in Christ. And we were by nature what? Paul tells us later in Ephesians 2. Brother Jeff just told us, children of wrath, sons of disobedience. Those aren't children of God. Those are children of the one who is disobedient par excellence, Satan. But then we saw number three, the prize of adoption. That we would have love and communion with the triune God. The living God. Not that there is any other God, but there are fake gods. They are not real. But we have love and communion with the triune God. Even though we belonged to another family, He paid our debt. He ransomed us in Christ. And we have been legally adopted. We had no stake, no claim upon God's family. But He chose us to be loved. If that doesn't fuel your worship, I don't know what will. The creator of heaven and earth chose you 
predestined you to be loved and to love him. And he chose us in Christ. Fourthly, we looked at 10 privileges of adoption. We noted that God cherishes us with a fatherly love. That God protects and preserves us with a fatherly love. That He provides for us with a fatherly care. That He has a special fatherly compassion upon us. Our Father commits to hear our prayers. He's under no obligation to hear everyone's prayers. But He has obligated Himself to hear the prayers of His children. Our Father sets us free from death and sin. Our Father made us co-heirs with Christ. We all are firstborns, Hebrews tells us. Our Father gives His angels to serve us. Our Father disciplines us for our good because He loves us. We recognize if we are not receiving discipline, then we are either perfect Christians or we're illegitimate children. Which is another way to say we're not His children. And our Father unifies us in His family. And we recognize that there's bonds in our natural families that are broken by death. But this bond in this family is excelled. It's advanced by death. We grow closer with our Father, closer with our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, we looked at the peculiar marks of adoption. What what are some ways or some some things that, that I could observe in my life so that I could analyze my life, so that I could examine myself to see whether or not I'm in the faith. We noted seven of these peculiar marks of adoption. Number one was a daily continuous renewal and growth in faith and repentance as we are children by faith. We are saved by faith. And we're sanctified by what? By faith. And we behold Christ, how? By faith. And we continue to sin because we live in this body of death and therefore we must continue to what? Repent. Not legalistically, but because we love our Father. And there's nothing that we would rather have on this earth than close, sweet fellowship and communion with Him. And He gives us that even now with His people and in our private times of prayer. Second mark of adoption was a controlling and supreme desire to love God and to be pleasing to Him. Remember, we've talked about this a number of times, but when I come to a situation, no matter what it is, or I have a decision to make, Oftentimes, we fall very short in our analysis and we're very lazy. And we ask this question, is it sin? And if it's not, we'll do it. That's the wrong question. If you're competing in a race, let's say you're doing some 400 meter sprint. Are you allowed to wear weighted shoes and a weighted vest and a wet trench coat? As far as I know, that's not against the rules. Yeah, you can do that. But are you running as so to win? Or are you just saying, I'm just going to go through the motions. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to get a participation trophy anyway. The question we must be asking is, 
How is this pleasing to my Father? Is this pleasing to my Father? How does this bring glory and honor to my Lord, Jesus Christ? We notice from Ephesians 5, not trying to find out what is pleasing to the Lord, but a better rendering that is proving, proving what is pleasing to the Lord. The third mark of adoption was an eagerness to submit ourselves to His authority, to be ruled by His Word and His Spirit in every thought, word, or deed. Now, all of us would probably say yes to this. Yeah, I, I do have an eagerness to that. Well, I would encourage you to examine yourselves with it because that's why we're doing this, so that we might examine ourselves. Men, how do you submit yourselves at your place of employment, knowing that that authority that's placed over you has been placed there by God. Wives, how do you submit yourselves to your husbands, knowing that that authority has been placed there by God? Children, how do you submit yourselves to your parents, knowing that that authority has been placed there by God? How do we submit ourselves to our local and federal government? knowing that those authorities have been placed there by God. Too often when we read through Peter and Romans 13, we, we go, oh, that's just government. But no, it says authorities. Recognizing that every authority has been given by God. Are we eager to submit ourselves to these authorities, provided they do not cause us to sin? Provided they do not cause us to sin. Fourth mark, a sincere enthusiasm to do His will with cheerfulness and joy. His commands are not burdensome. They are our joy. They are our delight. And He didn't have to do this, but He does. Did you know that they're for our good? God could have given us commands for His good and not for ours. But He gave us commands for our good. Just like we do with our children. Don't touch that, it's hot. Number five. A non-stop battle between the flesh and the spirit. Whereby we never give in without a fight. We never give in to temptation without a fight. And when we do give in, it's followed immediately by deep sorrow and a proactive resolution that I will not repeat this failure. Doesn't mean that we won't, but we're setting up safeguards. Or do we fail and just go, oh, oh, miss it again. Thank God there's grace. What am I going to do anyway? I'm just a sinner. You know, you can't use that because if you're in Christ, you're a holy one by nature. You're not a sinner by nature anymore. That's what Romans 6 tells us. And so are we proving what is pleasing to Him? And when we fail, just not saying, oh well, let go and let God. I messed up in this. Not a big deal. Are we saying, Lord, I, I failed You. Forgive me. Lord, what can I do to make sure I do not fail on this account again? A supernatural, number six, ability to wait upon our Father and trust in His promises. No matter what the world, the flesh, or the devil may throw at us. When they will. They will come. A true child, a loving child, always seeks to be in His Father's presence. And then seventhly, we noticed a transformation in our relationships. And we saw that out of 1 John 3, what we read here. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Transformation there. For such we are. For this reason the world does not know us. Transformation with the world. Because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be. There is a future transformation. But we know when He appears, that is Christ, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. How will we be transformed? By sight. Isn't that amazing? 
we will see the Lord Jesus Christ and will be changed. In the meantime, what are we to do? Behold him by faith so that we might be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And as we saw, the sixth facet of adoption was the prescriptions. We recognize that this truth of adoption must be our governing thought. Is this our forethought, the thing that we think of first? As children, do we submit to our Father's authority in everything? Even remembering, what did Christ say when facing the Father's wrath? Not my will, but yours be done. And it's an astounding thing for us to think that too often, Christ, we recognize this comparison when we, when we do our analysis and our examination of ourselves. Christ was more willing to go to the cross than we are to go to the throne of grace. It's a painful indictment against us. That Christ would take the Father's wrath willingly and we begrudgingly go to him in prayer. And what we need is to pray. As children, we must strive to be like our Father. As children, we must strive to be like our elder brother, Christ. As children, we must sacrificially love our Father. We must sacrificially love Christ. We must sacrificially love others. And we must be peacemakers. Finally, we compared... What were some of the marks of being children of Satan versus some of the marks of being children of God? What are some of the things that Satan promotes? Selfishness, unforgiveness, self-love, which is a very prominent one today. Taking from others, religiosity, hypocrisy, following your heart, following your emotions. Why do I feel, uh, I don't feel like... Well, I feel like that's too prevalent in our culture. And it's invaded the church. When you read through the writings of Paul, when he's writing to the churches, does he say, hey guys, I feel like it might be a good idea if you felt like... No. He says, knowing this, we build our life on facts. The facts of Scripture. Our feelings will follow. But they must be trained. And too often, we easily give over to these emotions, these desires, the freedom of the tongue, freedom of the hands from God's commands, division, legalism, licentiousness, exaltation of ourselves above others. Because our Father of the old gloried in this. He gloried in vanity, gloried in pride, and gloried in hypocrisy. And when we take a landscape of the world, That's the same thing they do. And that was us. But now, we have a father by means of adoption. And he showed us his love. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is radically different. Self-sacrificial love. And then what happened when Christ was getting ready to depart? He said, in effect, I want you to pursue me by pursuing my brothers. And we see that in Matthew 25. When he talks about, I was hungry and you didn't bring me food. I was in prison. You never came to visit me. Lord, when did we do all these? If you've done these to the least of them, my brothers, you've done them to me. This whole section, the the whole section that we're looking at in Ephesians is all wrapped up. Indeed, our entire Christian life is wrapped up in our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. Which is why we are members one of another. Do you value your adoption? Do you value your new family? Is this the thing that governs your thinking? When you have a decision to make, When you've done your budget, 
and it comes out and you've got 20 bucks left over at the end of the week. And this person, maybe from your natural family, needs help. That is not a believer. And this person from your adopted family needs help. Adopted meaning they are a believer. What would you do with that $20? Or what would you do with those two hours of time? Where would you give that? Your answer to that will show how you love Christ. Are you growing to look more like your father? Not just hating the things that he hates, which is necessary, but loving the things that he loves. We had this beautiful quote from Watson. Since God has a son of his own and such a son, how wonderful God's, is God's love in adopting us. We needed a father, but he did not need sons. Do you have love for God as your father? When Christ left, if you look at 1 John 4 later and John 13, 33 to 35, Christ says in effect, I'm departing. I'm not going to be physically present with you. Yet because I dwell in my people by means of union, there is a mystical and a spiritual union in Christ. The duty and privilege of love that you owe to me, Christ says, I have directed towards my people. Whatever love you have for me, give to my people. We saw that in 1 John 3. I've not loved my life for their sakes, nor for yours. Therefore, be sacrificial in your love for my people. My commandment is that you direct your love for me to my brothers that I've left behind. This is the testimony that I desire from you. So this is why it, it's, it's impossible for someone to say, I love Jesus and to hate his brother. Because if, if this person is a brother, Christ is in them. And because we cannot see Christ now, we are avail, evaluated on the basis of how we treat one another. How are you doing with that? You can't say, I love Christ and not have affections for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of you even now are justifying, I don't hate them, but think about what God considers hatred. Not giving him attention. All these people running around doing whatever they want, not thanking him for all the gifts and all the blessings. And we, the people of Christ, the body of Christ, Christ dwelling in us, do we love one another? We looked at Revelation 2. They said, hey, you're good at hating the, the things that, that I hate. But you've left your first love. How, how, would, how would Jesus know that the church at Ephesus left their first love? By the way, they treated one another. If they're, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, I mean, they're studying doctrine. They're in their, their books. They're in the Word. And they're, they're applying these things. They're doing, you know, apologetics, whatever. You fill in the blank. But how are they not loving Christ? How is that apparent? Because they're not loving one another. Some of you are good at hating. Not good at loving. That's inconsistent for a Christian. Christ is not divided. If you'd open your Bibles with me, with that backdrop, we're actually going to go back a verse to Ephesians 1 4. I know what you're thinking. At this rate, we'll never get out of verses 3 to 6. But at some point, Lord willing, we will. Should the Lord tarry. We've been looking at the Father's salvific work. And we're going through and looking at doctrine by doctrine. Just giving a brief overview so that we can understand these spiritual blessings. Paul says in verse 3, 
Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Just as he chose us, remember that that sense is with interest to himself, he chose us for himself in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to the end that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. That phrase is what I want to look at with us. Because what did we just studied? Having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. You could reorganize this part of the sentence. Remember, 3 to 14 is one sentence. You could reorganize it to say, just as he chose us for himself before the foundation of the world, having predestined us to adoption. To the end of that, we would be holy and blameless before him. So what I want to do with the rest of our time remaining, Lord willing, is I want to give four results of our election and adoption that should transform us, causing us to pursue holiness. Four results of our election and adoption that should transform us and cause us to pursue holiness. And here they are. Number one, relationship. Number two, reason. Number three, requirement. Number four, resources. Relationship, reason, requirement, resources. Let's look at the first one, relationship. Or you could say this is the the who. You could go in order from one to four. Who, why, what, how. Who, why, what, how. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Having predestined us to adoption. Having predestined, who's the us? It's the we in verse 4. That we would be holy and blameless. And and who, who are these people? If you go back to verse 1, it's the saints. And saints means what? Holy ones. We're not Roman Catholic. There's not like this special class of sainthood. If you're in Christ, you're a holy one by nature. Romans 6 says, you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. Now you're a what? A new creature, a new creation. You're not a sinner by nature anymore. You still sin because you carry around the body of death. But remember, the wages of sin is death. Crucified with Christ. Crucifixion is what? Death. You have died with Christ. You've been raised to newness of life. All of this with Christ. Paul gets into this in a different fashion than he does in Romans a little bit later. He made us alive together with Christ. Takes like four words and smashes them together to make one word. It's a beautiful picture. But the fact is, we're no longer sinners by nature. We've been freed from sin. And now we are slaves of righteousness. We are saints. We are holy ones. So then the question is, if Paul says in verse 1 to the holy ones who are at Ephesus, why is he saying here in verse 4 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would, this is the goal, the purpose, that we would be holy and blameless before him? Uh, Paul, did you read what you wrote? I mean, we already are. So, check that box. What's next? No. The relationship, the who, it's us. We, those having been elected and predestinated to adoption as sons. The second, the second result, the reason why, that we would be, that's a better translation of that we would be, is to this end goal, is kind of a good idea, that we would be, It's showing this is the goal, this is the the result that's supposed to happen, this is the reason why. That we would be holy and blameless before Him. Exodus 15.11, who is is Him? Exodus 15.11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. And as we 
We read earlier from Psalm 111, verse 9, He has sent redemption to His people. He has ordained His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. Indeed, His name is holy, Luke 149 tells us. And because God is holy, He will have a hatred for what? For sin. By necessity. Oh, God is love. No, whenever you love something, by necessity, there will be something else that you hate. I love children, therefore I hate what? Abortion. Murder of the innocent. God loves holiness. He hates sin. Habakkuk 1.13 Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Psalm 5, 4 and 5. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Did you catch that? Does God hate the sin and love the sinner? That's not what my verse says. He doesn't say you hate all the sin of those who do iniquity. He says you hate all who do iniquity. What, what goes to hell? Does God take the sin and cast it in hell? Or does He take the sinner? He takes no pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with Him. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. And we've been elected and adopted so that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Meaning what? There can be no sin in us. The third result. The third result. The requirement. The what? This is the holy and blameless. If being in God's presence is the goal, and we're not holy in every member of our being, what do you think would happen to us? if we were to stand before Him as we are now. What happened to Isaiah? Think about Have you ever thought about when Christ appeared to John on the island of Patmos, the glorified Christ, when He appeared to John on the island of Patmos? you remember John when he writes his gospel? How does he identify himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't you think that when Jesus returned to the island or came to the island of Patmos that John would just be like, <gasps> but instead what did he do? He fell to the ground like a dead man. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is one of the graces of the incarnation that God, the Son, would veil himself in human flesh so that the radiance of his glory his holiness would not harm us, but that we might be able to behold Him. What would God, if He were a man, what would His holiness look like? Well, look to Christ. If we are to enter into God's presence, we too must be holy. And we know holy means set apart, pure, undefiled. There's, there's a differentness to it. And this word for blameless means without blemish. You think about, you read through all these sacrifices through Leviticus. What did they have to be? A lamb without blemish. We see this in Ephesians 5. Washing the water of the word without spot or wrinkle. That might be blameless. And there's nothing new in this. Noah was blameless. He walked with God. And in Genesis 17.1, Now when Abraham was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Just by means of rabbit trail application. 
Abraham was 99 years old and he's still learning and he's still growing. This concept of you can't teach an old dog new tricks is alive from the pit out of hell. Are there things that we can't do as we get older? Absolutely. But when we're talking about the work of the Spirit of God, when we're saying, I can't grapple these things or I can't understand these because of X, Y, or Z, what we're doing is we're putting God in a box. Like we talked about last week, those people that say, you'll never understand the love of God as a father if you didn't have a dad or if you had an abusive dad. That's blasphemy. That is not true. Because understanding God as Father is a supernatural work. Adoption is a supernatural work. And so what we'd be saying, if that were true, is we'd be saying, well, uh, God can raise me from death to life, but He can't help me to understand His love. God can raise me from death to life, but He can't teach me as I grow older. I can't learn. It's the same thing that we look at when we struggle with material things. That's why Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't work. God feeds them. Noah was blameless and he walked with God. Abraham was called to be blameless and to walk before him. Think about that. Abraham left his land, left his family. And when we look at Romans 6, we see we have been immersed into Christ, verse 3 tells us. We've been buried with Him. We've been united with Him. Our old self was crucified with Him so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. We've died with Christ so that we might what? Live with Him. Knowing this, that our old self Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, it's not about feelings. Those things follow. It's about facts. The death he died, he died once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. And so we are called, therefore, do not let sin reign. Now that you have the ability to fight off sin, because you didn't have that before, don't let it reign. Don't let it reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And this isn't a command. Verse 14. Listen to this. For sin will not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Too often we give in way too easily to temptations. And too often we don't pursue holiness with the abilities that we're able to do. We pursue earthly and worldly things with every fiber of our being. But when it comes to pursuing holiness, we do exactly what we're not supposed to do in Romans 6. Grace will cover it. Grace will cover it. But he says, Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, verse 19 says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. That process of being made holy. The same way you pursued your sin with that same fervor, that same doggedness, that unrelenting pursuit of it. I'll forego sleep. I'll throw my money away. I'll do whatever I have to do so that I can pursue this sin. Take that ambition. Take that passion. Take that zeal and pursue Christ. And pursue Christ. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if on that day it's laid before us Look how you pursued your sin. And then when you claim to be a Christian, look how you pursued my son. Do you see a disconnect here? We should pursue Christ far and above how we used to pursue our sin. Verse 22 says, Now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit 
resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. You have, you derive your benefit, literally. You have your fruit. Do you have fruit? We are pursuing righteousness. We are mortifying sin. I think one of the reasons why we fail in this regard is sometimes just because of ignorance, sometimes because we don't know how. And so I want to get to our fourth result of election and adoption here. I want to give you some resources. I want to give you the how. When we consider that holiness is primarily with reference to God's nature and that we've been adopted into His family, now we can understand, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we can understand what Paul means here. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What calling is that? Sonship. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Because we are all one family. We've been adopted into one family. And then look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. As what? As beloved children. And walk in love just as. Here's the comparison. Remember how Christ loved you? In what way did Christ love you? While you were coming to him, hey Jesus, oh, I love you. I've done all these great things for you. I've really been no. We hated him. While we were still sinners. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma. So if we're going to be children of our Father, we need to be about the family business. We need to be bringing honor to the family name. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. This is the motivation behind how we pursue sanctification. Love. God's love for us, Christ's love for us, the Spirit's love for us. And then in return, our love for the triune God. As Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. It's the love Christ has for us. Or you could say 1 John 4.16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So how do we pursue this holiness? By taking hold of the benefits of our spiritual blessings and the means of grace that we have in Christ. So the goal is that we would be holy and blameless. Makes you think of Romans 8, 28 and 29. Like who? Holy, what are we supposed to be? Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good for those who love Him and been called according to His purpose. What follows that? That we might be conformed to the image of Christ? That's the all things for good. That we might be like Christ. That we might be like Christ. So what are these benefits and means of grace? Well, here are five. How do we pursue holiness? Number one, by beholding Christ's glory. We saw this in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God and has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we'll see Him just as He is. And that's what us men are studying on Saturday mornings. How do we do this? How do we behold the glory of Christ in Scripture? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed, metamorpho, metamorphosis, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Do you ever, you ever give up in pursuing holiness? Because you just think, oh, well, I can't do it anyway. Did you know that there's degrees to holiness? Did you know not every sin is the same? Did you know that? God's going to look at you differently if you lose your temper with your kid than if you offer them to Molech. You think that's the same sin? Both of it's sin, right? But one is worse than the other. There's some sins that we do in ignorance, but then there's other sins that what? We do with a heavy hand, arrogantly. What was the penalty for a high-handed sin in the Old Testament? Death. You could do the same sin on the outside, seemingly like, the same sin, but depending on how and why you did it, there could be a lesser penalty or a greater. Not every sin is the same. And though we are all, we recognize this, we're justified in Christ. We have His righteousness positionally, credited to our account, not inherent within us. But inherent within us, there are different degrees of holiness. When God looks at us, He looks looks at us through Christ. But each one of us, from glory to glory, those are degrees. It's the same reason why when you want to pursue discipleship or you want someone to disciple your child, you're very selective on who you choose. You don't just choose anybody. Right? Otherwise, you just say, well, we're all of the same holiness, so I'm just going to, whatever, I'll roll the dice. No. We look and we're selective because we go, okay, this person is more like Christ than I am. And I want to be more like Christ. So I'm going to follow them. Transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory. And all of this that we're going to go over is founded in beholding Christ's glory. Beholding Christ's glory is number one. Number two is Scripture. You could say beholding Christ's glory in Scripture. Turn to Psalm 19 with me. Psalm 19, looking at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Literally, that's the word blameless. We're supposed to be holy in what before Him? Blameless. How do we do that? Well, we need to hold up the right mirror. The law of the Lord is blameless. You want to be blameless? You need this word. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous, literally arrogant sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do you love... Do you love Scripture more than money? And how does your life reflect that? Do you love Scripture more than food? And how does your life reflect that? Keep back your servant from arrogant sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless. Do you sin arrogantly in private? You will not grow from glory to glory. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, 
Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in your spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you, which has been being revealed to you. Fix your hope completely on the grace being revealed to you at the revelation, the base brought to you by revelation of Jesus Christ. Do we fix our hope on grace being revealed to us? We don't usually do that. We usually go, okay, how can I do this? We spend two minutes in prayer and two hours doing something. And we should probably spend two hours in prayer and then two minutes doing something. As obedient children, there's that family terminology, do not be conformed to former lusts. Paul's going to use that in Romans. Do not be conformed to former lusts, which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay here on the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb. Is our word again? Unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. We are too, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow with respect to salvation. We need to put aside deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, malice. There's no place for anything like that. If we're harboring those in our heart, they're going to grow and it's going to be evident. And it's going to be fruit that we're not saved. But if like newborn babies, we're longing for the pure milk of the word. Everybody's seen a baby when it's hungry. What does it do? It's not satisfied until it gets that milk. Do you long for the glory of Christ in Scripture like that? Or do you go days, weeks, and sometimes months without even pursuing Christ in Scripture? If we are to be holy, this is a war. Sacrifices were to be blameless, without blemish, unblemished. The precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, is what it took to purchase our salvation. Death. God stepped off His throne, took on human flesh, and then died, taking the wrath of God so that we might have life. And we are unwilling to put the hand to the plow and to work for our benefit and for the benefit of others. We have to be faithful. Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be, here it is, conformed to the world, but be transformed. You see the difference there? We're not to be conformed to our former way of thinking, our former lusts, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we renew our minds? The washing of the Word. Beholding the glory of Christ in Scripture. Jesus says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Thirdly, prayer. Prayer. (laughs) David says in Psalm 27, One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. So he's coming to prayer and he's saying, Lord, let me behold your beauty. Is this how you pray? We all ought to be praying like this. He is majestic in holiness. We are His children. We long to be like Him. We are to be imitators of God as beloved children. 
This should be what our heart sings for in the morning. Oh Lord, that I may behold your beauty. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do you seek the face of your Father? Above riches. Above people. Above everything. Seeking His face. Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious and answer to me. Have you ever noticed how when you spend time with someone, you end up being like them? Like the more you spend time with them, the more you kind of have some of these the same idiosyncrasies. Especially when you're a child, right? When I was a kid, I had two friends and they both stuttered. And when I'd go over to their house for the weekend and I'd come home, I'd come home stuttering a little bit. Because I was just immersed in that culture. At like, you know, seven, eight years old, we'd go play football practice and then I'd go stay at their house over the weekend. And just t- they stuttered a lot. So when I would talk with them, I'd come back, I would stutter a lot too. Because I spent so much time with them. In what ways do you look like Christ because you've spent so much time with Him? Our fellowship with Him should be doing something to us. How is it changing us to make us more like Christ? If, if we've been going through this Christian life and we're not looking more like Christ, we're doing something wrong. Now, don't go to the first places always, I'm not saved, I'm not saved. But don't judge the doctrine of assurance is a beautiful doctrine. It's heretical by Roman Catholic standards because they want to keep you in there. They don't want to give you that freedom that Scripture offers. But it's a beautiful Protestant doctrine. Scripture says you can have assurance. First John says the reason that this is written is so that you may know. But when we are analyzing our knowledge of that, we don't do it on a day-to-day basis. We need a big chunk of time to look at. And we should be doing this regularly. And we should be asking those who are closest to us, how is my walk in the Lord? I think sometimes we don't ask those questions of people because we don't want to know the answer. But I would much rather hear, yeah, you're, you're failing in a couple areas. These would be some areas where you could improve. I'd rather hear that now than on that day here. I never knew you. I'd rather say, have Christ say to me, you're an overachiever. You pursued me in love day in and day out. And sometimes I think we, we don't pursue Christ because we, we think God is this angry tyrant. He's a loving father. Are we going to do things perfectly? No, we're not. When your kid brings you a little drawing, when your three-year-old brings you a drawing, do you go, are you kidding me? This is garbage. You can't, that's garbage. I could do better than that. Is that, is that what you do? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven? He's going to look at what was your heart in this? We spend time with Him in prayer so that we might be like Him. Fourthly, fellowship. We've been, we have fellowship with Christ. We've been given the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have all the one another's in Scripture, dozens and dozens of one another's. We're called to make every man complete in Christ. And in Ephesians 4, some of our gifts that we have, he gave some of his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints of the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's what we're working toward. We're all to be working in this together. And if, if you're not fellowshipping with the body of Christ, then you're not doing this. So you're not going to look like Christ. And it's going to be clear and obvious how much your love for Christ is by how much you don't fellowship with His people, which is not fellowshipping with Him. We must be pursuing Christ, and we do that in fellowship. 
with one another. Because what is the hope of glory? Christ in us. And fifthly, obedience. Hebrews 5, 7 to 10. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned. It's just baffling. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He learned obedience. And to all those who obey him, he is our salvation. Have you noticed those sweet times of fellowship with Christ in your life that you've had? When you're being obedient from the heart? And it just seems like everything's coming at you. From every direction. You're like, no, my hope is fixed on Christ. He's my anchor. He's the captain of this ship. And although it hurts, the things that come at you, you're not moved and you're not shaken because you have Christ at your center. Obedience is something that we can attain to. And we obey with a heart of love for Christ and our Father we begin to taste for ourselves the lasting pleasures of being in Christ as opposed to the deceitful pleasures of sin. Have you ever noticed how enticing sin looks sometimes? And then how sour it becomes after. Have you ever noticed when you pursue Christ with a heart of love, it's sweet and becomes sweeter? And it's lasting. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You could say, since you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love Christ, we'll keep his commandments. Not legalistically. Because we long for that fellowship and that obedience and to be pleasing to our Father. His goal was to do the work of the Father. Our goal should be what? To imitate Him and to do the work of our Father. On the flip side of that, Psalm 81 says, My people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him and their time of punishment would be forever. If you're faking obedience, you know, the hypocrite deceives others while he lives, but he deceives himself when he dies. This passage says, You hate the Lord when you pretend obedience. But Joey, I can't do any righteous works. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. What can I do? It's hopeless. Look at the context Isaiah 64, 6 is in. What are they doing? They're going through all the motions. They're eating pork. They're not supposed to eat pork there. You can eat pork, by the way. Christ has declared all foods clean. But they weren't allowed to. They were not doing things from the heart. They were just trying to keep up appearances, doing external things. And so it's a valid verse when you're talking to a non-believer. All the best things you do, you're not doing for the right reason. You're not doing them for the supremacy of Christ. And so it's a polluted garment. But Ephesians 2.10 tells us what? That God has given us good works which He prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We can grow in holiness. We can grow in righteousness. Now, ultimately, our standing will not change if we're in Christ. But the degree will. 
the degree of our holiness and our righteousness will change. We must pursue Him. We must not give up. We must not give in. We must, as it were, nail our flags to the mast and say, come sink or swim, I will be found with Christ. And I'm going to pursue Him in love and I'm going to be obedient no matter what that costs me. Our union with Him cannot change. No one can take that from us. Our position in Him cannot change. No one can take that from us. Our adoption cannot change. No one can take that from us. But our day-to-day living in holiness, someone can take that from us when we let them. And although our love for God will never change, we'll always be His children. You're always married to your spouse. You're, you're not unmarried one day. But how are you being pleasing to your spouse? That can change from day to day. It's similar, but different. Our position in Christ, our position with the Father does not change. His love for us does not change. But He will be more or less pleased with us depending on how we pursue Him in love and obedience, seeking to be holy. We can attain to holiness in this life through Christ, by His means of grace. But we can't just sit back and say, well, I'm just going to let go and let God. We need to work out our own salvation. We need to give it 100% because God's giving it 100%. And recognize that all this, all these good things in this holiness that we're pursuing and that we're successful in, we give glory to God, not to ourselves, because it's His Spirit that works within us. But we don't just sit back on the couch eating potato chips and go, well, I can't do anything. God's sovereign doesn't matter. We must pursue Him in love. Father, I thank You, Lord, that, that You have given us of Your Son, that You've called us into adoption with Yourself. Lord, let us live now being members of Your family. Let us live as your sons. Let us live as your only begotten son. Pursuing you in love. Seeking to please you in all things. Father, that you would take our lives and that you would use them in any way that you would please, but that we would do our best to pursue you and to love you. That we would look to these saints of old that, that had faith and how they used it. Even your servant Moses considered the reproaches of Christ better than living in the Pharaoh's palace. Lord, where, where would the people of Israel be had he not stepped out in faith and been obedient to you while trusting in you to do all of the work? Lord, let us pursue you in love. Let us take the examples, the good examples of all the godly men in Scripture. How they pursued you and they prayed. They rested in Christ, but they labored and toiled. But ultimately, let us look to Christ and behold his glory. For therein shall we experience the greatest change and a lasting one. Amen.